Welcome to the Superhuman Podcast. My name is Zach Haber. This is a brand new opportunity to share stories of sports professionals and their lives with food and nutrition. For the last seven years, I have worked in the natural foods industry, fostering relationships with athletes, nutritionists, chefs, coaches, trainers, and others. I look forward to asking questions never been posed before and uncovering new opportunities for us to shine a light on a healthier lifestyle. Our first episode starts with U.S. men's Paralympic snowboarder Keith Gable. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Zach, how are you, brother? Good, man. How are you? Good, man. I can't complain. We don't eat super heavy in the morning. Um, yeah. Even though I know you're kind of supposed to, we don't, you know. Yeah. Just, um, cool. Well, let's get into but, this. I'm like, I'm super curious to talk to you because I want to start a side project and this is it basically. Um, cool. Providing a voice, given my history with superfoods um, for the last seven years, which is crazy. Um, but just talking to athletes, nutritionists, chefs, and, um, you know, giving that voice for nutrition, but also just food in general. So I'm glad that you can, you know, support me and uh, enjoy me for the first one. Yeah, absolutely. I'm stoked. Stoked Sweet to be dude. a part of it. So, I, you know, I have to say, uh, I checked out um, Bibian's TED Talk recently about mentality. Yeah. And yeah. that, um, I'm sorry for your loss, man, uh, as, as a friend of hers, you know, as a friend of yours. Yeah, I um, greatly appreciate that. She's yeah. super rad person. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, though, because it's, it plays perfectly into what I want to do with this and her message, which was just to never stop dreaming, you know? And to follow your passion. Um, and this is kind of, you know, this is kind of it, you know, like had a journalism degree in college and, you know, helping people out through food um, has always been a passion of mine. So it's like kind of just goes hand in hand. It's weird how things align, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I feel you. I mean, chasing the dreams, like that's one of those things. It's like, I mean, I always dreamed of being a professional snowboarder, but I like never planned on it. You sure. know, I just kind of fell into my lap. It was never something that I like expected. So like I, I, and then once it came around, I was like, Oh, this is an option. Like, okay, let's go for it. Yeah. yeah. So, and like, can you just kind of introduce like, you know, snowboarding X and like what that is real quick? Yeah. Border cross. Yeah. Border cross. Yeah. So border cross SBX snowboard cross, however you want to define it or whatever you want to call it, I should say. Uh, it's essentially like the best way I can describe it is it's like motocross, but on snowboards, yep. you know, you, you line up in a gate with multiple other people, you go down the crazy course, first one of the bottom wins, you know, you got jumps, rollers, whoops, berms, plus you got a couple other guys on snow, you know, jockeying for position and, and trying to beat you to the bottom. So uh, that's the best way I can, I can really describe it. You know, it's, it's, it's a wild beast. It's, it's something like, especially in terms of snowboarding, it's something in and of its own. It's, it's, it's really cool. I mean, it's super fun. It's wild to watch. If you're, if you're into like NASCAR and things like that, you like seeing big crashes. It's definitely worthwhile to, to tune in once in a while. Cause it, it can get pretty hairy sometimes. Yeah. And the, I mean, the camera angles, I mean, they're, they're right with you the entire time. Oh yeah. And I mean, take it to X games, for example. I mean, they've fiddled around with multiple different ways of doing it. And, you know, they have the, the camera that's on essentially a wire that goes with you. And then sometimes they'll have, you know, a drone overhead. And, and uh, I want to say maybe it was 2015, they had this massive drone. I mean, huge. Right. And it's just hovering over the first jump as you, so you come off this drop, drop in, which is like, a 10 foot ledge into a drop in three rollers and then like a 60 foot jump, I think something like that. And it's just hovering there. And I'm sitting there going, I might run into that thing. I might hit it. You know, like I hope these guys know what they're doing. Cause I might actually launch into that thing. And of course, you know, they, they had the exact height of where they needed to be. So no one could hit them. And, but it was just like kind of unnerving. I'm standing there in the start gate kind of looking at it. Like, Okay, I guess I guess we're gonna go for it. I don't know. I mean, yeah, you're I, not you're not practicing with that in mind. No, no. Well, and I mean, for the most part, when you actually practice on the course, 
it's not around. They might have it for a minute or two to take a couple shots, but otherwise like, you know, you're getting follow cam footage and head cam footage and stuff like that. Like the last thing you're thinking is, Oh wait, there's going to be a drone hovering above the first big jump in the course, you know? So pretty funny, but like super cool the way they're able to, you know, set up and, and get the action where the action is going to happen. You know, it's, it's really cool. I mean, without having a follow camera on course, you know, it's the, it's, it's the best way to do it. And if you had a follow camera on course, who knows if they'd one, be able to keep up and two end up, you wouldn't want them in to end up in the mix, you know? Yeah. So you just, I mean, you just won double gold, right? In Italy. That's insane. Congratulations. Thank like, you. Yeah. I mean, is the technology, does it travel internationally? Regarding? Regarding drones, regarding everything that you would have in the States? Uh, you know, so, I mean, every venue is different that, you know, like take it back here to, to Aspen where, where, you know, X Games is held, you know, there's massive restrictions for airspace. You know, there's an airport literally less than a, less than a quarter mile from the venue. So, uh, every, every venue is a little bit different, whether or not you can have a drone even in the air, depending on the country and all that kind of stuff. That's, you know, that's, stuff that's way above my pay grade. I know yeah. at, um, in Italy, they did have a couple drones getting footage of, of, um, you know, the races and the trainings and all that kind of stuff. I actually have no idea who was flying the drone. Yeah. Um, and I, I've only seen one or two pictures from the drone, which was the day we did the, um, memorial to Bibian. Wow. Okay. Wow. So, when you're, you know, the point of this is to highlight food. Are you, are you able to enjoy, you know, Italian cuisine while you're there or do you have to stay to the strict diet? I mean, so strict diet, you know, it's, it's weird. Cause like, well, first of all, let me just answer the question. Yes, yeah. I can. Um, I have to be a little bit careful though. Cause I do have celiac. One thing yeah. I've realized though, with that is like, when I go over to Europe, there's certain things that I can eat over there that I definitely cannot eat here. Um, you know, and pasta is one of the things that I just stay away from completely, whether I'm in Europe or in the U S or wherever I'm at it, that seems to affect me the most. Um, but I can get away with, you know, some croissants and, and some, some forms of, of breaded materials, whether, you know, have a slice or two of pizza and it doesn't seem to affect me if at all. So, um, yeah, I, I can, I can enjoy a little bit of it. You know, my big thing is, is sweets. I have a really bad sweet tooth. And so yeah. like when I'm in Europe, especially Italy, you know, gelato ice cream is my all time. It's my all time thing. Like I, especially sweets, snacks, treats, whatever, like ice cream. So gelato, I mean, that's, that's my jam. So yeah, I, you know, I partake in that, you know, yeah. uh, uh, but it's, it's, you know, you gotta be, it's, it's always a balance, right? For sure. If you, if you go heavy with certain things and you need to go lighter another day and maybe heavy with, other things like vegetables. So if you're going heavy on, say you are a pasta or rice eaters or, or uh, breads and that sort of stuff, plus some sweets some sugars, you know, always balance it out with some vegetables. Um, you know, and over in Italy, I mean, the food's amazing. So yeah. it's always, it's always a fine line that you're walking there. So just in Europe in general, I love all the food over there. Yeah. So I don't How long have you had celiacs for? When were you diagnosed you with know, that? I found out in had to have been 2011 okay 2011 or 2012 i think it was wow. 2011 uh, i just had massive stomach issues for a long time you know we'll leave out all the details but um of course yeah <laughs> you know it finally just one day i was in a i wasn't actually having a good day i was having a bit of a bad day and i was like out of spite i went to the doctor i was like i'm gonna find out what's going on with my stomach like well i think at some levels i just needed some sort of accomplishment for the day. Um, but also like it had been bothering me for so long and I realized how much it was affecting my mood and just always being in pain. Wow. Uh, I, I went to the doctor and, and sure enough, they're like, well, you know, let's run some tests, everything, you know, um, coming back, they're like, Oh, you have celiac. Wow. So, and I mean, this was, this was back before I even knew like gluten-free things even existed. Um, and, and I had just kind of started hearing about it. I really didn't know what it was or anything like that. I mean, I didn't even know gluten-free bread existed for the first three or four months. And 
um, toast, like my roommates would make toast in, in the morning and stuff like that and waffles. And I mean, my, I mean, my mouth would just water and you'd think toast, like, yeah, it's got a good smell to it, but you wouldn't expect it to be like this thing that you like all of a sudden you're craving and really wanting. And for whatever reason, depriving myself of, of that stuff, all of a sudden my brain was like, you need that, you want it. And it was just so hard to get past. And then some, one day I was talking, I was actually talking about it with someone and they were like, you know, there's gluten-free bread, right? And I was like, what? No. And I kind of find out, you know, at the time there was like three different brands maybe, and they weren't great, but I was like, I don't even care. Like, give me some toast. That was the first thing I did when I found out I went home, threw it in, threw it in the, um, my own toaster. Cause I had to buy my own toaster and, um, and just chow down. I was like, yeah. this is amazing. You know? So have the offerings gotten better since then? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it's not just, not just here in the United States, you know, you see like places like you'd never really expect it, like New Zealand. Um, yeah. has, they've got a wide variety and every restaurant you go to now, um, you know, they have an entirely different menu. Most, most places, almost every place. Whereas like I went to New Zealand in like 2012 or something like that. And, um, there was nothing. I could, I could only eat like fruits, vegetables and, and meats. And that was about it. And I had to stay away from everything. And then, um, yeah. And then I went back in 2017 and it completely changed. I mean, different menu at most of the places, like if it's a decent restaurant, the, you know, the chef will come out and have a conversation with you and really see where you're at. If there's any fine lines, you can walk and all that kind of stuff. And um, so you, you definitely, the world has embraced it. I think everyone realized it is kind of a problem, but, um, the, the variety of things nowadays is, is unimaginable. I mean, they got Oreos, not Oreo wow. brand, but they got Oreo cookies. And it's, you know, if you're, if you're a guy like me with sweet tooth, it's like, bro, give me those yeah, cookies. Exactly. I'm the same way. I wish I had a savory tooth, but it's sweet all the way. I, I just know. can't. Yeah. I'm in LA right now. I'm doing a nomad life and, and for the year and I love it out here. I want to stay out here long-term, but like, if it says, you know, art, artisan bakery, I am all over it. Um, and I just, I can't stop myself. It's crazy. You're uh, lucky you can, you can dive in there face first. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Um, so, I mean, at this event, like going back to your diet, do you, do you travel with product? Like do you travel with food just to stay on top of stuff or how does that work? You know, so you got to be careful with your weight with baggage. Yeah. You know, when you're flying international, you're allowed anywhere from one to three bags, depending on your status with the airlines and yeah, that sort of stuff. And then obviously, if you're bringing food products from one country to another, you, there's there's obviously a fine line you walk there. But, um, sure. you know, I, I travel with certain things. I don't go too crazy. I know that like, generally speaking, I can find what I need to get me by if I have to. Um, but you know, I, I take some supplements and some products with me just to, just to be sure. Yeah. Can you share what you're taking on a daily basis? Yeah. So, I mean, um, supplement wise, you know, for, for recovery and that sort of thing, you know, primarily, uh, protein, creatine, that sort of thing, you know, um, you know, to stay up on, on, um, you know, mood, mental wellness, that sort of thing. You know, I do take a vitamin D supplement and just being up in the mountains, winter, winter athlete, all that sort of stuff. I mean, before the pandemic, I mean, everything was covered anyway. I mean, your nose might stick out and that's about it. So you're not really absorbing a ton of vitamin D. So I have to stay up on that. Um, I, I generally take some turmeric with me. Um, I love cacao. It's always nice. Um, if I can, some acai powder, yeah. some beetroot. Um, what else? What do you else? notice with beetroot? Because that's been, I mean, that's like, I've been, I remember hearing about it years ago for stamina. And then mm-hmm. also it's, I don't know where it really, where it's at in the stage of it's like, you know, life, you know, if it's life in the, in, you know, sports um, or even the world, but like, what do you notice or what do you see with that? I mean, energy and stamina is probably the biggest thing. It seems to help yeah. a little bit with inflammation and that sort of stuff. It's hard to say if it's directly the beetroot or something else, sure. um, like the turmeric or something like that. Um, it doesn't taste bad. Yeah. I don't really notice a ton of flavor with it one way or the other, good or bad. Um, sure. So that's always nice. Um, 
I just figure, you know, if everyone's talking about it and it's, and it's in, in the mix of conversation of things that could potentially be good for you or healthy for you, like, Hey, let's try it. And I have to yeah. be honest, like all praise goes to my wife when it comes to my diets. Cause I have about the shortest attention span on the planet. And so, uh, <laughs> she's really good at doing the research side of things. And I tell her kind of what I'm interested in. And then three days later, she's like, okay, so here's what I found, you know, and she goes <laughs> deep into, into the research side of things. And if I want to try a diet change, I always like to call it a diet change, not a diet because really diet's just your intake anyway. Right. So yeah. if I want to try to change my diet a little bit, I let her know what I'm, what I'm interested in, what I'm thinking, where I think the benefits will be and all that, you know, the plus and the negatives with it. And then, you know, she does a ton of research on it and then tells me like, Hey, like that might be actually a, a, a good option for you. Um, and then she kind of helps create some, some dishes and meals and, and a little bit of, of the meal planning for me. Cause I, again, like if I, if it were left up to me, it would last for about two or three days and then I would just be off yeah. the rails again, you know? I love it. So. So Heather reached um, out to me recently about some superfoods. I hope that what she has going on, on the side works out, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's exciting times. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're super stoked to, to move forward with it. We're not quite right. ready to drop, drop yeah. the, the news, but, um, you know, we, we hope to be in full, full swing by, you know, the beginning of June. Awesome. Um, and so between now and June, you know, we'll let the world know what we're doing, but, um, Love it. yeah, we really appreciate all the help. Um, yeah, of course. And, and all the information. I love it. Um, so you like you discovered snowboarding around 2000. Is that right? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, snow sports. I, I've been involved in snow sports since about 96, 97. Okay. Um, but I, I mean, I, I knew about snowboarding from the very beginning. Okay. I didn't get to put my feet in a snowboard till about 99, 2000. Okay. Um, you know, I come from let's back up a little bit. So when I first went and, and lived with my dad, I was about 12 years old, um, mm -hmm. had no, no opportunities to ski or snowboard up until that point came from a very humble background. Um, at points, you know, living with my mom, we were homeless, all that kind of stuff, uh, living in and out of homeless shelters, eating out of soup kitchens, that sort of stuff. Let's put it this way. Diet was the furthest thing from anything. It was like, if it was edible, you're eating it kind of deal. Yeah. Um, Maslow's but, uh, of needs. Right. Right. Just live. Yeah. Stay alive. Kind of. Deal. Exactly. Um, so I went and lived with my dad, uh, when I was 12 after some traumatic events that happened there in Oregon. And, uh, you know, literally the day he picked me up from the airport, he took me to deer Valley and put skis on my feet. He was already, you know, they were doing like a little staycation, him and my, my step family. So, um, yeah, I started skiing literally that day. I was again, it was 12. It must've been right around 96, I think 96, 97 that year. And my dad's an old school guy, you know, kind of with that attitude of like, no snow, no, no son of mine is going to be a snowboarder, like skeezy snowboarders or whatever. And, um, big skier. So, you know, I skied and he, his attitude was like, you want to ski, I'll pay for it. Like whatever you want to do with skiing, like pay for your skis, pay for your past, whatever you want to snowboard, you're paying for that crap yourself. So, you know, once I was old enough to get a job and a couple paychecks put together, you know, they went towards a snowboard setup. That was like the first thing. And I mean, I instantly fell in love with it. It was something that I always wanted to do. It just looked so fun. It was technology was quite a bit different back then. And, you know, snowboarders were floating on the power skiers were, you know, up to their, up to their elbows, up to their armpits. And it was much harder to, to ski pow than it was to snowboard pow. And that was kind of my big appeal that time, you know, Jeremy Jones, some of these other guys had done some stuff where really, uh, you know, showcasing what the potential was of big mountain riding and all that. So it was a huge appeal to me. Um, yeah. So I got a snowboard and just took to it like fish to water, really, you know, first day I was linking turns, I was crashing here and there, but I was having a blast doing it and just fell in love with it. You know, I love um, it. When I yeah. first started, we were in pads too. Like I, just cause I mean, my back was killing me or like my knees. So I would, I, I would try myself with like knee pads, wrist pads, all that stuff. Um, oh no. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't board. even have them for, for biking or, or, yeah. or skateboarding or anything else. Like back then it wasn't <laughs> like, like if you wore a helmet on the mountain, like you were like one of two guys back then, you know, whereas wow. now if you don't wear a helmet, you're like one of two or 
three guys on the mountain and gals. Yeah, it's changed um, a little bit, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So body armor and that kind of stuff was like the furthest thing from my mind, and you know, I was a little reckless anyway, so I didn't even think about it. Yeah, and then you had your your accident, your industrial accident, right? Which I kind of love, like your mentality about it. It was just like I, I, you know, I've I had, you know it was like what blood clots, right. Um, you know, um, transfusions, right. Um, hyperbolic treatments, right. Is that all accurate? Yeah. So 2005, uh, by that point, you know, between, yeah, I was sophomore or something in high school when I started snowboarding and then 2005, you know, at that point I had, you know, graduated high school, got a job as a well driller drilling for water. Um, and, moved through the ranks pretty quickly with that company and then um was just doing my thing i got hurt what was it june sorry i'm trying to think june no, 17 2005 sorry i was just thinking about it. it's been so long uh, yeah Ju- june 17 2005 i got i i got injured and it was just a freak accident got my foot caught in some hydraulics and uh, 2,000 pounds worth of pressure for over 15 minutes, 200 breaks and fractures in my foot, which that part of the body, I think has 26 bones, something like that. Wow. So a lot, you know, they rebuilt it seven or eight hours. I think they rebuilt the whole thing. And then I had to be lifelighted. This was in Utah. I had to be lifelighted from Logan, Utah to wow. Salt Lake City, uh, where I spent the next couple of weeks in a trauma unit. And um you know, long story short, yeah, I had multiple blood transfusions. Every time I'd sit up past a 45 degree angle, blood would come kind of geysering out of that, out of that hole in the top of my foot that they had cut to kind of rebuild everything and, um, a bleed out or whatever. And, um, you know, gone, I think the third or fourth time I was gone somewhere in the range of about three minutes, you know, so pretty lucky that they were able to bring me back. And, and at that point it was like, doctors like, you have to stay flat on your back you're using a bedpan, you're not moving, like stay on your back. And so at the, during all of that process, they were putting me in a hyperbaric chamber, you know, two, three times a day, just trying to increase blood flow to, to that part of my body. And sure enough, within a couple of weeks after all of that happening, um, they pretty much sent me home, said, your foot's dying. You've lost circulation. There's not a lot we can do at this point. Go home, watch your foot die, decide what you want to do. Uh, the did you day know after. immediately though, like, I'm oh, sorry to cut you off, but did you know oh, that, did you know immediately, like this love for snowboarding was so strong that I was going to do whatever it took to get back out there as soon as possible? Not really. No. So like, yeah. you know, the day after they released me, I started having chest pains, ended up realizing that I had blood clot in my left lung that was trying to pass to my heart. So, uh, at that point it was just stay alive. Okay. You know, it wasn't, it was, there was nothing snowboarding. And, but after a couple of weeks sitting at my house, watching my foot die, having a lot of time to think about everything. It was like, what do I want to get back to doing? Obviously I want to get back to work as quick as possible. That was like, you know, that was what I was doing. That was my career path. I had a lot of uh, early on success. Plus I was, I was in route for some, some more success. And uh so that was my big thing. And then the other thing, I had a lot of time to think about it. And the season prior to that, I snowboarded twice all season. And oh, it was wow. because I was standing on a drill rig all the time. And when you're in a drill on a drill rig with water coming down on you and it's 10 degrees outside, the last thing you want to do is go out and be in the cold and play in it. And um, so I'd snowboarded like twice that season. It really kind of hit me like, you know, that's, that's my heart and soul. That's my church. That's what's got me through everything so far up until this point. Like, I want to get back to that. And, uh, so when the doctor called me in and kind of weighed out the options for me, he was like, yo, like you don't have a whole lot of options here, chop it off or try to save it, chase gangrene to the hip. Possibly if it doesn't kill you, chop it off anyway, five, six surgeries, we might be able to save a small portion of it. And that's kind of when I was like, you know, how long till I can snowboard again? Like that, that question was just kind of eating at me. And he, he, he's like, you know, if we try to save it, you know, the partial limb salvage, five, six surgeries, that stuff, you're looking at if ever, you know, 10 years, if ever. Wow. And so that's all I really heard. And I was like, well, what if we just cut to the chase and chop the thing off? It sounds like that's the way we're headed. He said, you know, if you try to save it, you're always going to have a, a pretty massive disability. If we try to, if we just chop it off, technology's good. You're a healthy guy, great attitude, athletic you'd be living a normal life with a prosthesis 
three years. And I said, snowboarding? And he said, totally. And I said, all right, opening day in, is in October. It's July now. Like, what do you think? Three months? And he's like, dude, whatever's going to make you make the right decision. That's <laughs> what I was like, all right, chop it off. And so wow. a week later we did, you know, and that was when I set that goal immediately that, that day at the, having that conversation, I was like, I'm going to snowboard. And uh, yeah, it's funny how it all turned out. You know, I told anybody with a set of ears that I was going to snowboard and most people didn't really believe me at the time. I mean, you're looking at this guy on crutches, legs wrapped in bandages, cho- you know, chopped off at the, at the calf. And um, people were like, okay, dude, cool story. Like, don't, don't, don't be bummed if it doesn't happen. Like we support yeah. you, but. And, uh, yeah, you know, that was, that was it. I was the driving force be- behind everything, getting off the meds, teaching myself how to walk, no physical therapy or rehab, by the way, it was just wow. me, you know? Um, but that's what was pushing me forward every day. It was like, Oh, I'm going to snowboard again. I'm going to snowboard again. And sure enough, you know, Brighton opening day, October 31st, 2005, we were up there. Wow. And we got, that's- got a couple laps in. So that's wild. And how was the transition? Were you, you know, from, you know, prior to having, you know, being Paralympic, like, could you know, like, what were the differences you noticed basically with your new setup? Well, I mean, there's a lot, the original setups, I mean, just technology alone, like, uh, the feet that I was using were made for like walking and like some minimal activity, like playing basketball or something like that, but nothing like super high impact, nothing that would really test the, the strengths. And so, that was one of the things I noticed the most was we were doing a lot of trial and error. I was snapping feet left and right. And what we ended up settling on was a foot that was my size, but the strength um, of someone the size of Shaq, pretty much wow. you could put Shaq in this foot and he could dunk and come down on top of it and it wouldn't shatter underneath him. And we realized, you know, me at, at you know, 160, 170 pounds, the forces that I was coming down with were that of, someone the size of shack you know or or even bigger and so we had to make really stiff feet that would just pretty much take take a beat down uh, and I, I mean you're stuck in the back seat a lot of the time because there was a lot of concepts that i really wasn't familiar with like forward lean and wedging and all this other stuff but um other than that i mean i was i figured hey i'm strapping into a board how hard can it be you know and it wasn't the most beautiful thing it was a lot of skidded turns and that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, we made it happen and, and kind of adapted to what, what I had to work with. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Um, so, I mean, we met at X games and that was 2015, I believe it was, it was, I mean, that was like, what an awesome weekend we had. It was just like, I mean, out of, out of a dream, to be honest, like being in the athlete lounge, talking to everyone and everyone was just so cool. I don't know. It was, it feels like a lifetime ago. It's, Oh yeah. So my first X Games was actually 2012, uh, but oh. we were only exhibition. You know, it wasn't even it wasn't even a, a true event. Yeah, I mean, we got prize purse, but no medals, um, and it was just kind of to showcase what the the sport was capable of. I think the year before they gave them medals, but no prize purse, um, and it was just again the first two times that Para was was um, showcasing snowboarding for for X Games. It was simply that just exhibition, um, which yeah. was cool though. I mean, it, it, so going into it in 2015, I mean, a lot had happened between 2012 and 2015, obviously, you know, uh, I went to the games, uh, went to Sochi, won a bronze medal. Um, and I was much healthier where I was at yeah. 2012. I mean, I was eating airheads and drinking Mountain Dew. Wow. <laughs> you know, wild. my diet consisted of pizza and ice cream every night uh burgers fries all that kind of stuff and then 2015 like i had kind of already taken that that role of let's get myself in healthy let's be an athlete if you're going to claim to be an athlete you need to be one kind of deal it's, that that was that was my mentality for it and so what triggered that though really getting our sport into sochi okay. it, it was a you know you mentioned at the very beginning bibian Vivian, yeah. myself, Amy Purdy, a long list of athletes, Mike Shea, Evan Strong, um, Carl Murphy, uh, Tyler, uh, oh, his name, sorry, Canadian guy. Mm. Anyway, we had all like spent a lot of time begging, pleading, trying to get our sport into the games, you know, and we had finally 
we had finally done it, you know, and I literally got a phone call. I want to say, you know, like 18 months out from the games and was like, Hey, congratulations. Your sports, your sports gonna, gonna be in Sochi better get it ready, get yourself ready. And so, you know, between that and then finding out I had celiac, it all happened really quickly. Um, I was just like, you know, I want to get myself in the best shape possible. And at the time I was about two fifteen. you know, five eleven. that's kind of hefty. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I was a bigger guy. Um, and so instantly I was like, I'm going to eat clean. I'm going to cut out the soda. I'm going to cut out the candy and just see where I can get. And it became like, almost like an obsession. Like it, I just, it, it was like, let's see how far we can go with this as healthy as possible. And so, you know, instantly I was in the gym two to four hours a day. I was biking to the gym. Uh, didn't even have a car at the time. So it was better than taking the bus. Yeah. And, um, it was cutting my time. Too. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. And, uh, yeah. Carbon footprints, everything. Right. Yeah, so, exactly. Like, it, it was a sustainable way to get to the, the gym. Um, but it also cut down the gym time. I didn't have to spend all that time doing cardio cause I just did it. Um, yeah. but then I was eating, like I said, I was eating clean and, and I went from two fifteen, And then when I competed in Sochi, I was like one sixty four, Wow. Something like that. And that, that was within a year and a half. Um, so I lost quite a bit of weight, but I mean, I was cut, you know, as, and I, I lost a little too much weight because gravity yeah. sports weight is fast kind of deal. Um, but I kind of just jumped on that gravy train of like, let's, let's get as healthy as possible, do as much research as, as we can stand and try to figure out the best way, you know, and get myself in, in the best shape possible. And going into 2015, going into those games, I mean, I had put on from, from Sochi to X games, I put on maybe five, seven, maybe eight pounds, something like that. Wow. Um, so I wasn't much heavier, you know, uh, and competing against guys that are, over 200 pounds and, you know, uh, some hover around 230, 240, maybe even more. Uh, it's a huge disadvantage being that light. And, um, but that was the big thing. That was the big spark was like, okay, if you're going to call yourself an athlete, you need to live like an athlete. You need to look like an athlete. You need to be an athlete. Border crossers. We have a different body type than say like your super pipers and your slope style guys you know they're generally not all of them but most of them are a little bit smaller uh, um, build just in general they're really agile really acrobatic whereas border crossers have a tendency to be bigger like almost i i like to call us the jock of snowboarding you know you just kind of swole a lot of the time or whatever yeah but it's a fine balance too you know yeah I would imagine. I mean, were you doing this research research about, you know, healthier living on your own or were you with Heather at the time? So I met Heather in 2014, just after okay. the games, I went and lived at the Olympic training center. Uh, awesome. And so prior to that, I was just doing things on my own, whatever I could find on, on the internet and trying to yeah. avoid fad diets, but also taking that into consideration. Cause I feel like there's good information everywhere. You just can't when you can't believe everything you read, everything you hear, but you also have to kind of take bits and pieces and figure out what works best for you. Cause I always say nobody is the same and no body is the same. You know, yeah, everyone right. is a slight different structure to them. So it, for me, it was, what can I find that seems good? What has research behind it? What has, you know, proven, proven itself over time. And then let's, let's make a mixture of it. It's yeah. just kind of a hybrid. I learned that recently the hard way I did like some blood level testing. Um, and I was trying to just get more protein in my diet. Um, and was drinking a lot of whole fat milk and my cholesterol levels were through the roof recently in my last test. And I have since then just gone to more plant-based than ever before. Um, and okay. I feel great. Um, but I also think it's, you know, to your point, it's like, it's all that, but then it's like, how do you feel? Like, how is your mindset? You know, how do what does your body feel like? And I don't know. It just, it feels good. I'm sure that felt good to you too. Huh? Oh, absolutely. You know, and yeah. funny you mentioned plant-based cause I go, I have a tendency to go the other direction. I go really more of like a carnivorous higher fat diet Yeah, uh, for me, but I tried plant-based for a while and I actually personally felt sluggish and I felt, you know, kind of foggy brained a little bit and that sort of stuff. And then, um, I tried, you know, keto diet for, I did it for about seven, eight months, something like uh -huh. that. 
And the effects for me, I noticed were exactly what you were, what you were describing was, yeah. uh, you know, almost a state of euphoria a lot of times, which was kind yeah. of crazy for me, you know, and I was thinking sharp, quick, fast, um, no depression. You know, I suffer from, from depression and, and, wow. um, and a bit of anxiety and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, having those, I swear, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to explain, but I, extreme sports athletes, we have these huge spikes in endorphins. And then when you're not around it for a little while, you, you know, you get down in this level that you're not used to being in all the time. And, um, so I found like when I'm in that funk, you know, I'm constantly trying to find things that will, um, get me back up into those spiked levels so that I have that excitement in my life, I guess. And, and those are very basic and broad terms, but really, you know, we live in that level of like higher than most all the time. And then when you don't have it, like my depression seems to be astronomically high and it's, yeah. it's hard to get out of it sometimes. But what I notice with higher fats, you know, especially taking, you know, my omegas and all that kind of stuff, that's another thing supplement wise and, and, um, superfood wise that I'm always looking to get, um, it balances me out. It's not that I'm like beaming all the time. There is times where I'm definitely in that euphoric state. It feels like, but it just levels me out. So I can have a normal conversation with someone. I can think on my toes. I can react to situations, good and bad or whatever, or high intense situations like on my mountain bike or on my snowboard and stuff. The downside for me going the keto direction was, I lost a ton of weight. I spent mm. four years trying to put 20 pounds on between Sochi and Pyeongchang. And then all of a sudden I was losing all of this weight and like, sure, I looked great, but weight's fast where I'm at, yeah. you know? So it's a fine balance. And like, what, how much weight can make up how much speed? Like what's the ratio to that? That's a great question. I mean, it all depends on the athlete themselves, how agile they are. Okay. If they're able to get the most out of every feature, you can take a guy who's, you know, 135, 140, and they can be competitive, competitive against a guy who's 180, 190. But in all reality, you know, 50 pounds makes a huge difference. And that guy at 135, 140, 145, they are working so much harder. And once you start getting into flat sections, um, something that's not super technical, where it's just strictly, you know, um, uh, gravity drag all that kind of stuff there that that weight advantage is just going to pull them away i mean and i've seen it with guys that are on the much bigger side they'll be standing straight up they'll have baggy clothes on and they're pulling away from me at one 175 180 you know uh, just pulling away and i'm in a tuck and at that point i really don't think it's their wax and that kind of stuff that's doing it for them because we all have some of the best wax techs on the planet you know so yeah. like uh, it really, you know, I do believe it has something to do with, with, um, you know, the, the mechanics at, at, or the forces at B, if you will. Um, yeah. it, it, I don't know the exact ratio though, to answer no, your of question. Yeah, I, yeah. I know that a 50 pound difference is massive and it's that guy that's on the lighter end of that 50 pound scale is definitely gonna have to work way harder. Yeah. Can you see a difference, whether it be on course or even like when you're not racing, mean someone who nourishes themselves and and who doesn't beyond oh, yeah. weight okay what does that yeah look because like? so in a day of, of racing i mean you're on the you're at the course somewhere in the range of like 7 8 a.m kind of deal and you probably don't step foot off of there until 2 or 3 p.m if you're lucky sometimes even longer uh pyeongchang was much longer because we had gate malfunctions Mm. Um, and so we were sitting in the sun, just baking and frying and trying to stay shaded. And you're on the mountain with snow that's reflecting snow, uh, sun back at you, UV rays and all that. So it's just taking from you. If there's wind, there's weather. I mean, it all plays a factor, right? Sure. So, um, you see it though, with the guys who don't eat very healthily, like, or, or they don't nourish themselves well, like they just run out of fuel. You know, because yeah. generally you have one or two training runs in the morning just to kind of warm up, get used to the, how the course is set. And then uh, you go into time trials. And from there, you'll have one to three runs, depending on depending on the setup. So okay. um, and then from there, you go into heat to get bracketed. So then you might have 
four to eight more laps, depending on the race structure. So, and the amount of athletes and all of that. Uh, and so you need to be prepared. You need to have the right fuel and you got to have the right levels of carbs, the right levels of fats, the right level of sugars, you know, and hydration is huge. And then also, you know, you got to make sure that your body isn't getting inflamed throughout the day and all of that, because that will slow you down as well. So you definitely see it. The guys that, that aren't nourishing themselves well, uh, they seem to get fatigued way quicker. You know, in Italy, we, we dealt with some pretty high temperatures. It wasn't super long days, but we were dealing with tons of high, like the temperatures were very high and, um, mm. you know, the snow was soft, which made it, you know, it's just more work at that point. And I felt like just watching those, those guys who weren't nourished, you know, they started to slow down when it really mattered. It's like, great. You just, you just qualified. Well, great. Uh, you just moved through three, three brackets and now you're in the, the big final you're shooting for a gold medal and you're, you're tanking, you know, you're, you're crashing hard. And I mean, not physically, but your, your energy is crashing. You can see it in them. They're slower out of the gate. Their, their feet are moving slower. Um, they're not reacting as quickly to what's happening in front of them. If someone's in front of them and they got to make a reaction. Um, so you definitely see it. You see it all the time. Yeah. I, I think it's one of the things that's always, it's emphasized with teams, but I don't know if it's taken seriously by the athlete always. It's hard. It's hard as an athlete too, because you're out there, you kind of treat it like, well, not everybody, but some people treat it kind of like a vacation. It's like, Ooh, I'm in Italy. I want to try this and I want to try that. And I want to have this beer or whatever. And, you know, drink or no drink, I don't really care. Do your thing. But um, to me, it's like, Oh, you know, like that's just something that's not helping you. Yeah. You know, I mean, a friend of mine years ago, Go for it. Oh, go ahead. No, it's I was good. just going to say a friend of mine a, a year, years and years ago said, does it help you be a better athlete? And we were talking about some stuff and I was like, kind of think about it. And he's like, if the answer is no, then don't do it. Yeah. If the answer is yes. Keep doing it. You know, it was that simple. Yeah, it's going to say it's hard as a human, just because I mean, I get, you know, as a casual, you know, just like I get cravings of anything. And it's like the next day you'll feel it or you know, we're not training or we're not competing. So it's like, I feel like our competition is like maybe looks, you know, competing against other people. So I'm guilty of that where it's like, you know, but it's just tough to keep that mindset of like, I got to stay healthy. Um, Cause if I don't, it could be like a, a slide where you just keep going down, you know, and it just gets out of control. I don't know. It's, oh, yeah. it's just tough, man. Well, I'm a foodie. I can't, yeah, I can't deny too. that. I love things that taste good. I, and I love savory too. Don't get me wrong. A sweet tooth is, is definitely a thing I've got, but the savory is, is big as well. And, um, I can, I, I understand addictive personalities and stuff. you know, I personally don't drink because I can't drink. If I do, if I have one, I have 30 and I understand that. So I just stay away from it completely. So yeah. I understand the, the, that mentality of like, maybe I didn't have a good day. So I'm going to, I'm going to drink the pain away for me. It's I'm going to eat the pain away kind of deal. Um, and that's, I'm an emotional eater. It's true. I can't deny it. It's, it's a tough thing to, to come to terms with like, wait, do I really need this? It's, you know, 10 and 11 o'clock at night, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's like, no, I just had a bad day and this is delicious. It's making me feel better (laughs) just because it's so good. So I understand that. Um, and then people want to celebrate as well, you know, and that goes both food and we'll just use alcohol as an example. Some people want to have a couple beers to, to celebrate, but you know, studies show that alcohol can be found in your system upwards 30 days after, after intake. So if it's in your system, I always say like, if it's in your system, it's affecting you one way or the other. And it goes for food and, and supplements and all that sort of stuff as well It's like, if it's in your system, it's affecting you. So yeah. it's, it's tough because it's, it's, if you're not seeing the results right off the bat and we're, t- if we talk like, you know, body shaping and all that kind of stuff, if someone's looking to really get cut and all that, that takes time that can take years just like putting on weight can take years. And so uh, if you're not seeing the results right off the bat, it's very easy to slip back into old ways and old habits. Cause you're like, yeah, who cares? Or I'm not seeing it. It might not, not it's not working, you know? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I actually, funny you mentioned, you know, alcohol. Cause I, in 2020, I have never drank so little in my life. And it, I think it played so well with, you know, being in this compromised, you know, life situation, but it had to have helped because 
you know, people were struggling, you know, across the board in, in various ways, but I truly contribute like my sustainable happiness to th that being a factor of that, you know? Um, and it's been great, man. I mean, I, you know, I've been able to enjoy some alcohol in 2021, you know, um, you know, going out more regularly, but, um, I love it though. I've definitely tamed it back and it's, I think it's definitely here to stay for me at least. Yeah. Good for you. That's congratulations. That's a tough one. I mean, it's tough. It's a, I mean, talk about addicting. Well, it's funny, you know, if we're going to talk about substances, it blows me away. Like I, it just blows me away at how readily available some of the most poisonous things on the planet are, but then yeah. some things that aren't and it's like taboo and it's all this stuff and lean whatever way you want. I don't really care. Like I have my own personal opinions and they're my own. They're nobody else's. Um, but I just, I personally believe that like having, having that so readily available and then not these other things and it's huge fines or prison time. It's like, it, to me, it's mind blowing. I'm like, yeah. to me personally, my own personal opinion is everyone should have the right to put whatever they want in their body. I don't really care. Again, I've, I'm a, live and let live kind of guy. It's like, you do you as long as it doesn't affect me, we don't have a problem, you know, as yeah. long as it doesn't affect me, my family, you're not out there hurting people. My, I mind my own business, but, um, you know, alcohol is a tough one for me yeah. go, going back to my childhood. You know, my mom, my mom was a heroin addict. My okay. mom, you know, she used to tell me stories of doing speed balls and all this other stuff. Like, and I mean, like, 15 and she's telling me this stuff you know she used to buy me cigarettes i used to smoke heavily i mean nicotine wow. is one of the hardest things on the planet to step away from and but you know by a third or fourth grade i was smoking a pack a day you know wow. we talk about alcohol and nicotine i mean i was destined for doom i had my first alcoholic beverage at six years old and uh, you talk about substance abuse and that sort of thing like it's in my blood there's no way around it. You know, I love my dad to death, but he drinks heavily, you know? And so I know that that's probably not the best route for me. And, um, to be honest, I, I, after Sochi, I, I started to spiral really heavily. Like I was doing well, I was kind of off and on the alcohol. That was something that I was looking at for, for health reasons primarily, but I also knew like I would, I would have a tendency to maybe not make the best decisions and not like I'm going to go out and drive or hurt somebody, but I just get wild, you know, it's like, Oh, I could backflip off that roof, you know, or just whatever. Like, you know, my, my reservations were very low at that when, when I'm, when I'm drinking and stuff. And I knew yeah. that. So going, coming out of Sochi, it was just a giant party. There's nothing I could do. No matter where I went, someone wanted to buy me a drink, you know, whether I was at home, whether I was at, you know, the mountain, wherever, you know, I had kind of built a name for myself at that point. And, you know, friends would find out I was in town. I'm like, Oh, let's go out. And so I'd go out and then it's like, let me buy you a drink. And, you know, like I said, I was, the, I'm the kind of guy that like, if I have one, I have 30. So, yeah. Um, you know, that went on till about December. So she was in March, December. I mean, you do the math. It was quite some time that I was really struggling with it. And it was pretty much daily. And mind you, I was living at the Olympic training center. So I was training hard and all of that, but it, it was like at night was a whole different ballgame. You know, the training center is a dry campus. So, but there's a bar right across the street. And mm. um, so it's like, for me, it was just like, after a while it became like, the hair of the dog that bit you, you know, yeah. like kind of just taming that, the hangovers and that kind of thing. And it was just brought to my attention in December that year, um, that I, you know, some coaches had noticed that uh, some coaches of mine who were also, you know, mentors, mentors and friends, uh, had just noticed that I was having a serious time, hard time, and it was becoming a problem. And, you know, their, their take on it was like, we want to make you a better person not just a better snowboarder not just a better athlete we want to make you a better person all the way around and what that looks like to you might be different than what that looks like to us but either way this doesn't fit yeah and um and you know it was brought to my attention and so um i went home with that in my head and and locked myself in a room for for a couple of weeks and just dealt with it dealt yeah. with it, you know, and, um, never in my life did I realize, I, I realized never in my life did I crave it more than that. That point was taking it away and telling myself I couldn't have it those first few weeks. It's all I wanted to do. 
it was yeah. the weirdest thing. Like I'd go to the mountain and never prior to that was I like, Oh, I just, you know, went to the mountain. I'm going to stop and pick up, you know, a six or 12 pack and, and drink in my room by myself. But that's what I wanted to do at that point. Um, you know, and, and that was back in 2014. So, you know, I'm pushing six and a half years, I think something like that wow. now, you know? Um, Congrats. yeah, yeah. Pushing wait six and a half. Yeah. Six and a half years of this year will be seven years of, of no booze. And, and I couldn't just like you said, like, best thing I've ever done. It feels yeah. great. It's here to stay like no hangovers. You know, I'm not, I'm not getting any younger and the hangovers seem to affect me that much more. So, yeah. um, or they did back then. So that's probably the best thing. Plus it's just not, it's not something I have to spend money on. I realize it saves so much more money when I go overseas to these crazy places and, you know, everyone's celebrating. I'm having club sodas. Guess what? Most places they're free. Yeah, and exactly. Two, you see people see a bubbly drink with ice in it and a lemon floating around or whatever. Like no one's questioning you why you're not drinking or anything. Yeah. Um, and if they do, I just tell them I got a problem. I'm not I, exactly. I'm not proud of it, but it's also like it's something that I know you I don't want me to start drinking. Going to. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, it's, exactly. It's better if I don't. So yeah. you know, congrats to you because that's awesome. It's it's hard. It's really hard, especially when that's the social norm. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, you realize it's like, wow, I've been just peer pressuring myself to drink, you know, or to even, you know, the original superfood being, you know, uh, hemp, you know, it's like, I've been able to slow down with that. And it's just crazy, man. Like, I feel like for me, COVID was a, a really introspective experience, you know, that I, one of my best years of my life. So it's just weird Good. how things take shit, you know, how life takes shit. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, if you look at it just from a health perspective, I mean, I feel like it's one of the best things you can do is step away from that once in a while. Yeah. You know? And like I said, nicotine also, you know, there's multiple forms of that. And, you know, I, I mean, yeah. I quit smoking cigarettes years and years and years ago, but, uh, uh, you know, every once in a while back in the day, you know, I'd have a snooze or for a while when I was quitting cigarettes, I was doing the, uh, the vaping stuff and, then I kind of got addicted to that. And I was like, dude, this is crazy. Like, that's all I want to do. I want to have that in my face all day. And yeah. It can't be good. How, how, do I, how do I live in there? Yeah, completely. Right. Right. Um, so That's crazy. So I want to conclude though, with just kind of getting to know, you said you guys getting to know you like on a daily basis, like you said, you know, you don't eat traditionally in the morning. I'm the same way. Like I usually fast until I'm actually hungry. Um, so up until like 12 PM for the most part, what does that look like for you in the morning? Are you working out? Are you eating? Like what's, when do you start eating? I guess. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I like, I like, I like to kind of fast from, you know, eight to 10 PM into somewhere in the range of 12, 12 PM. Uh, I just generally, I'm not that hungry in the morning. Um, I love my coffee, yeah. you know, so I definitely have a couple cups of coffee, uh, we have our own little espresso machine here at the house. So, you know, we're, we're coffee people. So that's, that's my routine. Generally I get up, have a couple glasses of water, you know, have a coffee, jump on my computer. I'm a full-time program manager for a nonprofit organization. Uh, and so I have a lot of work to do there. And so generally speaking, I don't even realize it, but it's already noon and I'm like, Oh, I guess I'm kind of hungry, you know, but um, yeah if I do have something, it's generally a smoothie or something like that, or, or, you know, an egg with, with smoothies. Uh, and, and, you know, again, the smoothie thing, that's, that's Heather all the way. She throws some yeah. food in there, some spinach and then some superfoods and, and, you know, and she, she's like, ah, you'll like it. Trust me. And so I do you even do. know what you're, do you even know what you're eating or are you just going with it? Uh, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes not, you know, yeah. uh, I, I, I trust her. So, I know like generally it's, we've got acai in there. We've got chia, we've got, uh, uh, matcha, there's nice. cacao, beetroot. Um, that's just a few off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of things that, that she throws in there has those make, she makes sure it has those omegas and those fatty acids for me. Cause she knows it's kind of important for, for me to stay on, on a path of, of functionality. So, um, yeah, I, I can't say that I always know what we're what we're doing. But you know, from there, it's generally, if I haven't eaten anything other than maybe the smoothie or something like that, 
I'll have a few eggs, that sort of thing. Um, just get my body going and waking up. And then I just kind of eat throughout the day as, as I, as I feel hungry, I don't try to label anything. I try to stay away from, you can only eat at these times and this amount and all that. I did all of that. I've done, I've done the very strict measurements. And what I found is when you put labels on things, um, you just, and for me, I just want them more. Yeah. Uh, so if I say something is bad or unhealthy, well, for some reason in my brain, now I want that. Yeah. Um, or if I say I can only have this amount at this time, it's like 20 minutes before half hour before an hour before I want that. And then, or I want double of that when it's time, you know? And so for me, I just kind of take things as they come, you know, I snack on nuts and, and, and various things like that. I try to have a good balance throughout the day, uh, of, of carbs, sugars, fats, and proteins. That's, I mean, those are the four major ones, you know, and I try to, I try to mix it up, make sure that, you know, I have a good balance with every meal. If I am going to have a meal, um, if it's an afternoon lunch, you know, I try to make sure if it's, if it's a protein, you know, there's some vegetables in there and there's a light carb in there as well. I try to, what I found from doing the keto thing was like, I felt great, but I was losing too much weight. And so for me, I had to add carbs back into my diet. Um, so that for me, that was like, okay, I have to do that. How can I do that on a, on a healthy scale? And, you know, that might be, you know, a slice of bread or something like that. Nothing crazy. I don't go, I try not to go too crazy. And then dinner, you know, it's, so it's, it's a moderate meal, but it's nothing. Again, it's, if I go heavy on anything, I probably go a little bit heavier on the protein side, just to keep my weight where I want it, keep my body where I want to keep my, you know, my inflammation and that sort of stuff where I want it, you know, and, and sure. then, you know, for us, no booze, um, yeah. try to keep my sugars within, within reason, especially at night, I get those late night sweet cravings. So got to be careful with that. Um, and do you cut yeah. off food at, at night at a certain time too? Yeah. No later than 10 o'clock okay. ever. Like that, that's the rule of thumb. I, I generally after dinner, like if I'm going to have a dessert, I try to have it as close to the meal as possible versus waiting an hour till I'm kind of starting to feel hungry again, because then, you know, your body's already started to process what was put in and that might get put on the back burner till the next day, if at all. So, you know, I want it to all kind of be lumped together. It's kind of my, my thought process on it. Whereas if I give it time, then you know, it's always in stages how your body works, at least from what I found out is like, if it starts to burn everything that it's eating in there, you put some more fuel in there an hour later, well, now that's going towards the reserve tank than what's what's actually being burned in there. So wow. yeah, I try to I try to cut it off 8, 8.30, you know, um, no later than 10. If it's crazy, and I'm just like, dude, I gotta have some milk and cookies or something. Okay, but if it's after 10, it's like, you just need to go to bed. Yeah, totally. Any like, any smoothies that you like, like any favorite smoothie of yours or any favorite snack of yours that like I need to make today? Uh, as far as making, yeah, smoothies yeah. all day. I mean, I love pineapple. It, okay. It's a sugary fruit. So I okay. love pineapple just in general. And I love that Hawaiian taste, like, you know, those Hawaiian flavors, like banana, strawberry, pineapple, mm. uh, okay. you know, that's kind of my go-to if I'm like, yo, I want some sweet along with along with that, that delicious smoothie. But I always try to make sure to mix some, some of those powders in as well yeah. and mix in, mix in some of the, the greens and stuff. And, um, what kind of greens do you yeah. use? So uh, primarily spinach, okay. spinach is a big one for us. Kale is tough because it's so like, so leafy, you know, it's yeah. really hard for even, even I found even with a Vitamix, it's like, there's still enough particles where for me, I like, I want to chew it and I'm a texture guy. So like, yeah. I don't like things getting stuck in my teeth. I don't like having to chew things if I'm trying to drink it, that sort of stuff. So spinach is primarily the green there. I might throw some avocado in there once in a while, some great fats yeah. there. Okay. Um, and then what, what liquid you know, base do you use? Like water or you go with a milk, like a plant-based milk? Yeah. So, uh, if Heather's making it, it's almost always a nut milk. I personally, okay. I do like whole milk cause I am trying to get those fats away from the sugars kind of deal. You go skim milk or something like that. You're just drinking sugar water. That's white. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but if Heather's making it for sure, it's a nut milk. It's either an almond milk, a macadamia milk, um, a cashew milk, something like a cashew milk is awesome. Cause it's a little bit sweeter yeah. just naturally. If you, if you go, 
no, no sugar, whatever. Cashew milk is a little bit sweeter, which is nice. Um, sometimes she'll do a little bit of the acai juice. It's a mix of the nut milk juice, juice mix. So there's, you know, some good base. And then I, for me, like, I kind of like my smoothies. If it's not frozen, like a, like a Slurpee style texture, then I want it. I want it liquid. I want a true liquid. So I'll add water to mine and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, you, hemp milk is one of the easiest things I've been doing. Well, I'll just like, I'll add maybe four tablespoons of hemp seeds. And then it's, I think it's a cup or two of water Blend it up and you're good to go. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. And talk about omegas. I mean, it's, it's rich. So yeah. 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 And, and shameless plug here. I'm just going to throw this out, you know, Oh we, dude, we throw, look at that. I dude, love this it. This stuff is legit. This yeah, stuff is right? legit. If, if you're looking to have greens in your smoothie and that sort of yeah. thing, and you don't want foliage in there whatsoever. I mean, throw yeah. a scoop of this stuff in there and it's amazing. You know, I just shameless plug Navitas, you know, I it, love it. Super grateful for you guys hooking, hooking us up with this stuff. Cause oh my God. It, not only is it like invaluable, but it goes really, really far. I mean, a teaspoon, a tablespoon a day kind of deal. I mean, that's, that's all you need. So, yeah. uh, well, sorry, I mean, our bodies I can only, dude, I love it. Our bodies can only handle so much protein, right? So it's like, I think the serving size has 10 grams of protein plus all those superfoods greens. Like it's got every, it's the perfect product. I love that thing. It's a great blend too, especially if you're just adding, if you're doing fruit and you're like, okay, I, I want to have everything and I don't want to have to measure out five, six, seven different powders. One scoop of that. Boom. Yeah. And you're you're, you've go. covered all your bases. Totally. Well, I'll tell you, I'm definitely going to add pineapple. To, I have never had pineapple to my smoothie and I totally will be going forward. So like, if you're doing like a, you know, we have whole pineapples and they're pretty cheap. I can't yeah. say they're the most expensive fruit. So it's nice. You know, we just cut them up. But if you do go like with a canned pineapple, make sure it's in juice versus syrup. I would just suggest that. Um, yeah. And if you, you know, you can use the juice as a base as well. If you're trying to have that sweeter, juicier, you know, you're not really worried about the sugar content. It is high in sugar. Yeah. Um, use a little of that juice in your base and it's, it's good to go. But pineapple, I mean, that that's a natural sweetener across the board. Bananas, if you, you know, you let them ripen up a little bit, that's another natural sweetener. Um, yeah. Blueberries, again, if you let them sweeten up a little bit there so you can get your sugars in more of a natural form versus, man, this is, this is so bitter. This is so tart. I need to add something in there, honey or something. I love it. So last question, do you, do you have like goals in mind for the future? Like like top like one or two goals right now that you're thinking about incorporating into your diet this, you know, this i just want to live as long as possible man yeah uh yeah i mean yeah it's so fun if i may i was just going to talk a little bit longer i know we're going to wrap Please. up here, yeah go for it i was thinking a while back i can't remember i was having a conversation with someone have you ever seen the show love connection back in the day I've it was like 80s it. 90s Okay. So a lot of people had, and I was, I was telling some, some of the younger athletes, I think it was, I was like, you guys see this show. It was like a dating show in like the nineties. And it was by this guy named Chuck Woolery. He was like the, he was, he was the guy, he was uh, the, the host. And so I was Googling it and just laughing because I was looking at it and I was like, they, they do these profiles. This is Tim and he's a construction worker at 32 and blah, blah, blah. This is all of his things. And then this is Jason and he likes to ride horses and whatever, you know, it's like their whole little profile and it's like a video thing. And um, I was looking at these guys and they're like 32, 34, 28. And they look like they were late forties, mid fifties. And I'm going, man, dude, the eighties and nineties were not kind to people, you know? Yeah. Um, and so Talk like substance. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're looking at these guys and it's like, okay, in the coming through the eighties, maybe early nineties, like life expectancy was what 50, 60, 70. And like, at that point you are dirt old. Like you better have lived your life by about 40, 45. Cause after that, it's all downhill. And now you're looking at people. I mean, look at Joe Rogan, for example, guys, what 52, 53, something like that. And I mean, he's a beast. He's an animal. And like, you see a lot of that these days, people becoming more health conscientious and, and aware of what they're putting in their bodies and understanding that there's like this whole, it's all relative, right? It's all part of the same thing. It's all part of the mental wealth, you know, stretching, exercise, food, diet, uh, all of it. It's like, it's all encompassed into this. And so I was just thinking about it when I saw that, that 
love connection. I was like, man, like Tim is looking rough at 32 <laughs> and he's, he's a couple years younger than me. And I'm still doing athletics with some, some young guys that are some of the best in the world. So, uh, I just want to live longer. I want to live yeah. as long as possible. I'm a, I, I, I have this serious case of FOMO. Like I want to see what the future holds for everyone. And, um, that would be my like ultimate long, long-term goal. I want to see my son grow up and be, you know, something awesome and do, do his life, however he sees fit. And, and, uh, I want to see him be successful and have kids. So long-term, you know, that would be it short-term, you know, we're going into the games next season. I want to make it to Beijing. I want to go win two gold medals. I want to, I want to, you know, crush, crush it there. Um, you know, and then midterm is just have a good life, be productive in society, be productive in my personal life continue on with my interpersonal relationships uh just started doing jujitsu recently and so i want to keep doing that yeah it's cool man i was a wrestler in high school and so it's for me it's like just rolling with with people and stuff and with gym opening back up and stuff it's like this is rad you know it's just another way for me to kind of stay fit feel young get a workout in you know learn some stuff um you know get getting choked out getting choked (laughs) out is like you, some things just don't seem so important yeah exactly <laughs> you know um so those are i would say long, long nice. term short term and then you know Mid-term. middle of the road it's just be yeah. a good human i just that's my goal is to be be prosperous be a good human give my family a good life have a good life enjoy it while it lasts because what i've learned is life is short uh there's no yeah. guarantee tomorrow's gonna come and you know so enjoy it while while you got it I love it. Well, piggybacking off longevity, I've been uh, really into blue zone diets. I don't know if you know much about that. Um, my mom is Greek and um, I um, blue zone Mediterranean diets basically are, you know, they, they promote longevity. So I've been learning a lot about, you know, incorporating whole grains, nuts, things like that. And uh, it's just been incredible. So I urge you to check it out if you haven't, if you don't know much about it. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. I have heard about it. And I think even on that, on that note, something about like removing yourself from technology from time to time and all of that, right. That kind of plays into that whole uh, lifestyle change. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. correct. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, thanks for joining me. It was awesome talking to you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm stoked. And yeah, all the, all the best to you. And, and I'm, I hope you, you know, this becomes a huge thing and, and, you have a ton of success with it. I appreciate it, dude. Uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Absolutely. Thanks, all right, Jack. dude, Keith. Yeah, man. Bye-bye.